Exits for Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. Hey everybody, welcome back to X's for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of comics' marvelous mutants week after week through their monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Today we're going to be taking a look at two of the biggest teams in the Marvel Universe, the X-Men and the Squadron Supreme, sort of. Our docket today is X-Men number 20, Heroes Reborn 1, 2, and Heroes Reborn, Hyperion and the Imperial Guard. Now, these two teams, the X-Men and the Avengers, are of course the two biggest teams in the Marvel Universe, but they're something really interesting about the way they're both being pushed to new places based out of looking backward to find a new future. In the pages of X-Men, we see a confrontation of the ideas not just set forward in House of X and Powers of Ten, but also playing back to the age of Chris Claremont initially creating Nimrod. In the pages of Heroes Reborn, a reference to a maybe less than well-received 90s era, Jason Aaron looks to push the Avengers forward by pulling the Avengers out of their narrative to examine the world around them. But first up, Maddie Evelyn and I took a look at X-Men number 20. The idea that loss and rebirth is such a huge part of the X-Men's narrative right now, with this impending fear of burning things down, this idea of raising the forest. True, things will grow back, but this idea that Everything that the X-Men have been working toward could be brought down from both the threat inside as well as outside has never been more prevalent than right now in Jonathan Hickman's Avengers. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, you might even like what you see, so you can check us out over on YouTube where we're dropping the Daily X, the same segments you love, but in easier-to-catch daily format. Hey guys, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of X's for Podcasts, where we assemble together to bring you the very best of all things X. My name is Maddie, and as always, you can find me over on Instagram at the Basely Covetous Man and over on Twitter at Basely Covetous. Hi, I'm Evelyn, the Comic Canary. You can find me on Instagram at Twitter at Comic underscore Canary. And I'm Nico, and you guys can find me over on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. And let me tell you the honest-to-goodness pleasure it is to suddenly be aware that when you introduced this room as X's for podcast, that made the introductions in this room X-M-E-N, and I just need a minute. <laughs> I can not... That is actually like the original like Dawn of X like first wave titles when yeah. like, the first five ti- first four titles spelled X Men and I was like oh my god it's gonna go like this forever and now if you assembled all the letters together it would kind of sound like yeah um, it, would, it would be that amazing song from Sesame Street Abkadekajekaminakasirus Fizz that's that is exactly what nobody else yeah. was thinking and I love you for that so today guys we are gathered together the 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 M E N of the group gathered together to cover issue twenty if you'd believe it of X-Men Lost Love, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Francesco Mobili, cover art, color art, excuse me, by Sonny Go, letters by VCs Clayton Cowles, and design by Tom Muller. Seeking a way to bring back her wife Irene, Mystique enlists the help of Forge to produce a Krakoan-grown microscopic singularity generator, or black hole, capable of destroying the Orcus Forge, thus eliminating the potential for Nimrod to be brought online. Meanwhile, Dr. Alia Gregor seeks a way to return the life of her late husband, Erasmus. Now, this is a considerably short introduction by my own standards, but I thought it best to just let Hickman's work speak for itself on this issue. In boiling it down to a two-sentence 
thesis, I couldn't help but highlight the parallel of love that pervades this issue, unironically titled Lost Love. Dr. Alia Greger being so consumed with her love and grief for her now twice late husband, as well as Raven's own personal tragedy by way of Irene's suspended resurrection. What were our thoughts on the shift in tone from X-Men this week? Well, I'm going to start with like a, a hardcore Miss Piggy Haya, right? And it's it's just like <laughs> one of those like kind of hayas. Like it's like the Muppet arm just kind of clunks into the wood for a second because I need to point out that I know we're supposed to be on Mystique's side here. And I get that maybe, you know, Dr. Human Murder Doctor isn't like crazy for wanting to bring her lost love back online, as it were. But they're both fighting for something they've lost. Whereas Charles and Eric, their stake in this is something they still have. So I'm going into this fully fully open to acknowledging i love mystique and i love destiny and i want them together forever but i don't really want mystique to succeed because mystique's success is the cost krakoa and i loved these parallels because i unfortunately in the name of selfish desire want them both to fail and i think by presenting us this parallel this foolish human trying to bring back her lover at the cost of many mutants. We see the parallel of Mystique, a, few, a foolish mutant, trying to bring back her lover at the cost of many mutants. So I don't want to sound terrible, but I'm Team Moira. I mean, I really did enjoy it, like kind of coming back to that, like coming around kind of full circle um, of what we've known and what we've been fighting for. And I just thought like the parallels in this comic were just so interesting with the humans and the mutants kind of going through similar things and how they're both just like, the only way we can survive is to kill everyone else, but I want my lover back. And it's like, mm, maybe you guys could get along more than you think. I saw a thematic connection coming out of House, you know, coming out of Ten of Swords that I don't think I'd I had felt leading into Ten of Swords. I think the Vault Two Parter is still the promise of Hoxpox because, in some ways, the Children of the Vault are kind of their own mixed evolution kind of chimera thing. I think we're just seeing uh, a more straightforward version. But until you asked that, I don't know that I even realized what I found homogenous. But in understanding what I find homogenous, I think it even does set out your, your question even better, this shift. I think it goes from the story unseen with characters seen, you know, where we know what they're doing, but the rest of the world is kind of shut out from them and we see those characters to now we're on the other side of it. I think I like it. What about you, Maddie? What do you think? You know, I definitely I I, I understand that, and I I'm glad that you you made mention of Children of the Vault also being in its own way a promise that's made due from the House of Powers era uh, that we that we are only now two years removed from, and everything, of course, since has been predominantly inspired by by the success of of House of Powers. I think that there there is something of a homogenized sense of where X Men is going, but if nothing else, I. I have in going back and looking at the last 20 issues, I have been noticing something of a shift, um, a, a more a more innocuous shift from discussing the the humble domesticities of life on Krakoa, which actually I'll touch on in point shortly, and the the greater 
stakes of the world at large. And in that way, I wonder what it is that that this title is specifically trying to accomplish, especially knowing that there will be an upcoming team book, presumably of the same name. Whether that will take over for the title or not is yet to be determined. But if we could if we could take a take a minute to really focus on the fallout of the House and Powers era, we've made mention in recent weeks about the looming nature of the impending man-machine war. And if nothing else, I expected to see this thread picked back up by Hickman himself in the pages of X-Men, so it was merely a matter of waiting. But that said, we are nearing the two-year mark since that plot point was so heavily teased in the pages of House and House. Knowing that Nimrod is back online, knowing that his gift of partial humanity has absolved itself, it is only a matter of time before we see the consequence of this specific issue trickle out into the pages of the rest of our beloved mute books. So having said that, is there another title that we are currently covering or that you are currently reading that you think is ripe to be harvested into this moving of the agenda? I mean, I think it's such a beautiful time to grab X Factor by the everything glorious and make sure that we don't lose sight of, you know, the what what we're here for. We're here to see mutants thrive and survive. And I think X Factor was one of the books that was really driving that forward. And if we're seeing the X Factor era come to a, for lack of a better term, uh, inglorious conclusion, I think I'd love to see that title get the sort of nuanced love it deserves in focus. I get that. I like that. I also appreciate inglorious as opposed to disastrously premature end. Um, so I think I'm going to stick with with your way of putting it. I feel like that's a little bit kinder to my soul. Uh, Evelyn, what were your what were your thoughts here about if there were another title that you're currently reading or possibly another title that could be resurrected for namesake that you think might move this agenda forward outside of Hickman's work on X-Men? Ooh, oh, I don't know. Honestly, I I'll be honest, I'm only really reading X-Men right now at Marvel. <laughs> That's cool. That's but- cool. <laughs> But I don't know, like, I just find that, I mean, I I think that's one of the reasons I like these X books so much is because while they do interact, they do also kind of have their own stories at the same time. And I I don't know, I actually rather enjoy that. You know, I, I do too. I just feel as if, if nothing else, there's the part of me that two years ago read House and Powers of X, two years at the time of recording, of course. If you're listening to this years in the future, well, that's the marvel of podcasting. Um, I probably look fantastic with it. So... The thought is, for me, frankly, the only wrong answer here was New Mutants. If you were like, I think New Mutants is right to be pushed for the agenda moving of Hickman's work in the Man-Machine War, I would like probably boot you from the room and it's nothing personal. Um, that's just, that's simply not uh, a realm in which that title can dip into for me. I would love to be proven wrong. Um, I just think that Vita Ayala is is so incredibly talented and so incredibly underutilized in, in the scope of writing a team book that I would hate to see it squandered in the interest of looking at the bigger picture. I think personally, in the interest of streamlining the events of this title, I think X-Force would probably be the next logical conclusion for me if we were to see these events trickle out. I think that X-Force would probably be, if nothing else, the next available resource on the island for combating this threat as the quote-unquote mutant CIA. Yeah, I would agree with that. Nimrod coming online carries major implications regarding the future safety and security of mutant life on Earth. Do we feel, and this could just be the nihilist, but do we feel that by moving towards a more natural illusion of the 
grand machine war plot point that was left so open-ended for so long. Do you fear that we're potentially coming to the end of this post-House and Powers era? Or do you think that this is a footnote in a greater scheme of what's to come? I think it would definitely be not necessarily a footnote, but like the, it's not the end of the book, but like an end of the chapter. Like it's an end of this chapter moving forward, but there's definitely going to be more coming after it. Like it's not necessarily the climax of the story, but it's like it's a climax of a continuing story. I mean, I think because uh, we belong to the sort of corporate comic empire, I think I'm unable to separate the fact that I know if this were the total end of Hickman's era, they would not have announced that he's got a new book coming in a few months. We would not, I mean, because they would have made it a clear, you know, oh, it's an epilogue and would have announced it later. Not that a book continuing means certainly that, you know, he's going to keep going, but, you know, um, and I think knowing that the status quo change seems what I'm going to say minorific at best, that it just sort of seems like uh, a quick shift. I don't think that we're in for a new era. So I feel like they're going to keep letting this play out. Um, I don't think the five remaining issues of X-Men with the Hellfire Gala coming right up upon it. I just don't think this is enough time to pay off the promise of Jonathan Hickman's pitch. So I think we're okay on time. I, you know, and I'm, I'm glad to, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only person to believe that. And part of it, and part of the impetus for me writing this question and for asking this question is the, the devastation that came with losing X Factor. X Factor, a title that I wholeheartedly expect to enjoy, but I did not expect to carry my enjoyment for this current reign of X line of new titles. And so in that way, and in looking back and rereading for possibly the 10th time, House and Powers, I'm realizing how everything, whether tangentially related or otherwise, that we've seen come out of Dawn of X, that we've seen come out of the Reign of X, everything exists as a fulfillment to the promise of Jonathan Hickman's work on House and Powers. But to see the primary promise of House and Powers the promise that Powers of X specifically delivered on, which was an impending looming man-machine war that will end all. To see that touched on makes me immediately think that there is something about what's to come that is finite and resolute. And so in that way, I do hope that no matter what comes of this, whether we see it through in the next six months or we see it through in the next six years, that this is going to be something that can be touched on, can be moved past, can be shelled for later and that we are not seeing the reintroduction of this conflict as the sole conflict that will be the end-all be-all for this tremendous era of X-Books. So y'all want to talk about Forge? I mean, I'll always talk about Forge. I love Forge. I think Forge is super underappreciated and there's sort of an interesting complexity when discussing Forge because Forge really is that good. That's kind of like one of the first things you need to accept about Forge. Forge really is that good. And, you know, it was nice seeing him have a little time with uh, Raven, who he dated in the early 90s. So it made sense to see them here together. They were both on an earlier iteration of X Factor together. So I felt pretty good about him being here. You know, he's a character that I'm a big fan of. And I think... 
you know, he's such a Hickman character. Like, he's so Hickmanian. He's a Hickmaniac, if you will. So that it feels sort of weird that he's gotten such a short shake in this series. You know, yeah, definitely a short shake for Forge in this series. But I would not say, by any means, a short shake for Forge in this era of comic. I think that, if nothing else, Ben Percy is the 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 sole flag bearer for Forge right now. He seems to be, you know, putting him up at the front and leading the charge as far as tertiary cameo characters to appear in his title because Forge, not a character in Wolverine, not a character in X-Force, but has made multiple appearances in both. Most recently in Wolverine, two issues before in X-Force, he seems to be, and to Nico's credit, before I say what I'm going to say, the reason is that he is that good. But Forge seems to be the spark plug go-to resource for, oh, you need a thing developed? Yeah, and, and with good, good measure. Making this type of bomb in two weeks, wow, holy fuck, that's like unheard of. But that even last minute, it takes Forge two weeks to make one. So I think I would say that it's like he really home, like there's only so much material to make a freaking isolated black hole that takes into consideration that amount of complex details and logistics and being able to make it so advanced because Forge even says like he makes the right tool for the right job. And it's so complicated to make one that I, that yes, it would make sense that he would make an extra one as a just in case but that could either be he he believes in raven like like they say it's like out of desperation this is kind of like her last thing like the last chance the last go but also just the components and i kind of i kind of see it as like a mixture of those two things where it's like it like just all three of those aspects coming together you know and i i think it's i think it's so incredible that nico brought up the fact that forge and, and raven dated in the 90s that you're bringing up the concept of Forge's trust of Raven to fulfill the job, understanding the stakes that are on the line. And that was lost on me entirely. And it's not a testament to, to Hickman's delivery of the writing of these, these lines of dialogue. It was strictly that I just couldn't fathom the idea of not measuring twice and cutting once. I, I do think there's also an important thing to remember. When you have a super brilliant tactician like Mystique in play, the best way to keep her from figuring out what you're doing is keep her busy with something else she wants. Mystique wants to kill humans just as much as she wants Destiny back and like don't confuse it, you know what I mean? So like they're keeping her busy and they can do this all day. Every time they even damage Orcus, that's damage. So she doesn't really need to succeed. I mean, yes, Nimrod never should have come online. That is a problem. But I'm not convinced that they had a future where Nimrod didn't go online. However, I'm sure there were futures where if Mystique wasn't kept busy, they're fucked. I believe that. I, I truly that's, believe that. I that's think that's, that, is, that is an incredibly astute point. And I hadn't, again, hadn't thought about it in that context. And so I genuinely appreciate your input there. I, I do want to harken back to something that you specifically said, Nico. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong before moving forward. From this point in recording, there are five issues left in the current iteration of X-Men. I do believe. So for to the best of our knowledge, there are five issues left in this run of X-Men. Now, X-Men, in its current 
current iteration never ceases to amaze me. It has not ceased to amaze me for 20 issues. In comparison with the Children of the Vault plot of the last two issues, 18 and 19, this issue is inarguably more straightforward and much less expository. If nothing else, it feels like a major shift towards streamlining the title, towards fulfilling the grander promises of House and Powers. Having said that, and as mentioned before, it was not long ago that the title existed to set the stage for our understanding of the complex domesticity within the mutant community. Think about issue five, for example, uh, the or, or what I perceive at this moment to have been issue five, but much earlier in the run. The the focus placed on Krakoa and Araco, the, the focus placed on the island itself. Frame that against where we stand now. Do we prefer X-Men as a title to focus on the larger picture or the more minute idiosyncrasies of mutant life in a Krakoan age? I don't think the book named X-Men is the right vehicle to be a status quo setter. And I think that is what we came up against with the Hickman era. When you see X-Men, you expect, you know, you you, you expect fucking X-Men, right? And like, you expect X-Men that you recognize doing things you recognize, being X-Men, doing X-Men-y things. And like, I'm not trying to be reductive and silly, but so um, Kevin and I were watching Lego Masters season one to get real hype for season two. And in the preview that is burned into the episode for uh, episode four, season one, they say, in the most shocking episode ever. Okay, it's episode four, but you know what? Episode four is not built for the posterity of being episode four in airing order for the number of people that watch it when it airs. They're much more concerned about the people that watch it over the next 10 years in streaming. And not everybody's fourth episode is going to be the fourth episode of season one. So the idea isn't to create something that makes sequential sense. It's to create something that dazzles while maintaining sequential sense. And I think having a book called X-Men simply be a title that kind of plays with the status quo as opposed to, you know, I mean, I just, I guess there's no better way to put it. I loved it, but how many people were like, I love X-Men. I'm going to pick up an issue. What the fuck is this weird pasty white guy, the summoner? What the fuck is happening? Why are they trying to play a game? What are these aliens? Why are these islands having sex? I don't understand. I was looking for Magneto. Like, I have to wonder how many people had that experience at a comic shop. And I also have to ask if perhaps then the better idea is for Hickman to be on an adjacently named title. <laughs> you are always one step ahead of me. But first, Evelyn. I mean, I totally understand that. As someone that has worked in a comic shop, I have for sure like seen people go, what the fuck is this like while picking up a comic like totally not expecting it and that's something that I think that I I wouldn't hate about these comics if like they try to keep like the more iconic characters possibly in the X title and then have some of the lesser known ones in the other titles and like trying to put like some of the lesser ones like here and there sprinkled in the regular X-Men ones and then have some of the more established ones sprinkled here and there to get people to pick up the other books would be like totally fine by my opinion, you know? No, absolutely, absolutely. And I definitely think it's it's a good thing that we're all in agreement here. It's not that Hickman's talents are, are being underutilized in X-Men. It simply as Nico put it, X-Men should not be the title that carries the weight of establishing and reestablishing the status quo. And if so, if that is what you're looking for from the book, 
it should, if nothing else, bear some resemblance of a team book. And there has not been at one point in this title to current a team assemblage. The yeah, most, that's true. The most X-Men that an X-Men proper title has felt to me personally was X-Men Empire. And X-Men Empire was four issues that barely revolved around a team. And the only reason that I say that is in looking back, in crafting this, this, this argument against X-Men as a non-team book, I had to ask myself, you know, there's, there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of, you know, mutant interplay. There's been, nope, that was X-Men Empire. Nope, that's, that's exactly what that was. There's been a lot of Summers focus. There's been a lot of Quiet Council focus, which there is time and place for. There needs to be a, a dumping ground, for lack of a better term, for these necessary elements in moving such a great game of chess forward from behind the scenes. There are so many moving pieces. I would sooner liken it to 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 a, a old clock that needs regular maintenance. There are so many cogs and so many pieces and the idiosyncrasies, the idiosyncrasies between them that keep everything running deserve a title. But does that title necessarily need to be X-Men? Given the recent X-Men election, it's not unfair to assume that this title will be seeing a major shift towards that out of a team book. And from my understanding now, we only have several issues left. With Hickman's talents for moving the greater narrative forward, hopefully being shifted to a title that bears a less in-demand name. So if this is indeed the case, if we are going to see Hickman step away from X-Men as a title in favor of another book, what is one thing you'd like to see, if anything, Hickman accomplish with the title from current before that switch happens? Well, so you said clock, right? So let's go with clocks for a second. One of the things about clocks is the way clocks are maintained is uh, kind of an art unto itself. And when a clock maker or a clock repair person goes in and works on it, they make a notch, right? And those notches are called witness marks. And if we're examining this as a clock, let's assume Moira is the person making the witness marks, right? Moira is the person putting the notches in the dashboard of this 1967 Chevrolet. And I think what we'll need to see is what comes of the gala. Right. First of all, we know that the gala is going to culminate in some big mutant announcement. So, you know, if the mutant announcement is bitches, it's space. Okay. Well, then I guess, um, I, 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 I guess that's where we were going all along. And let's go to space. And sure. But what I really need to see is that that instrument to make the witness marks in Moira's hands. Glad she made an appearance on the last page looking all, you know, redheaded and sassy. But I would really like it if she could um, grab someone by the back of the head and just like smash them into the quiet council table a few times and be like, Mama's home, boys! And just like kick a chair over, take out her X-Men 96 machine gun and just let some bitches know who's home. And I guess that's what I'd like to see. That is, that is certainly a fair, possibly unfillable request. But I, I, I think that I think that I think that it is for it is equally as preposterous as it is perfectly valid and fair to want to see. And I do think that if anyone were deft enough to be able to give Moira the time and the stage that she deserves in this title, it would be. And realistically, as we've said before, there has been no no 
lack of of bouncing around in plot from from X-Men, you know, from jumping around to different facets of mute diplomacy and mutant domesticity. So to see Mora come to the forefront in these last five issues would definitely not be the the significance of which would not be lost on me, let's say. Speaking of Moira, and to bring Moira up, there there is no better place to begin and end this conversation than the last few pages of this issue. It is certainly no coincidence that the upcoming Inferno storyline was teased at the end of this issue, what with Irene's last words to Raven being what closes out the book, and if I can deliver the end of it to you, for those who don't have their books in front of them, she says, bring me back, and if they cannot, if they will not, then burn that place to the ground. If that's not the most obvious inclusion, or if that's not the most obvious place to include the upcoming Inferno, I don't quite know what would have been, but what may or may not have been coincidence is the showcase of Moira in conjunction with the delivery of these lines. So what do we think? Is Moira the prime target for Mystique's anger and anguish over the denial of destiny? Is it because Moira is an arguably closest as an ally to Charles and Eric, who have both denied Mystique's request? Or is this a red herring? Is this simply to remind us that Moira is in the fold? Well, I mean, Moira is responsible for Irene's death to Mystique's mind. You know, she blames her for the whole situation going south and Mystique dying. I'm sorry, and Irene dying. So, you know, she's kind of got a mad on for Moira going back some number of years, right? And then fast forward, uh, Mystique killed Moira, pretty much, right? You know, it was the whole uh, Dream's End situation, which we've now come to find out was a Shi'ar golem. And then we find out in the third life that Mystique and Destiny and Moira have some sort of, you know, serendipitous, kismidian, unavoidable social disease problem. And now the three of them are pitted against each other in a situation where one is dead, one was dead, and the other has not doesn't really have the understanding, right? Like, so even if Mystique is imagining to go after Charles and Eric in some way, she is unaware Moira is there to be aftergone. And I think that subtlety, right? That just because she doesn't know Moira is alive to go after doesn't mean that that's not going to become her target. But at the moment, I think Mystique is a very angry woman who just held a very large bomb and now has a lot of ideas about burning things down. Well, I mean, um, fucking Magneto and Charles don't help with the whole, like, what about Irene? And they're like, what about her? Like, they could handle things so much better. Like, what the actual fuck, y'all? They just know how to grow terrorists. Oh, absolutely. Hey everybody, welcome back. Nico here one more time. Now, myself, Nathan, Rod, and Jonah really enjoyed Heroes Reborn, and we wanted to talk about it and the many ways that it's sort of making us re-examine the character development over the last couple of years in the pages of Avengers, as well as the Marvel Universe at large. The title perhaps only tangentially relates to the X-Men, but with the edition of the Imperial Guard, the since-released Magneto one-shot, as well as the upcoming Wolverine and Final Flight, it really does look like the X-Men are finally making their way back into bigger Marvel Universe crossovers, and we're here for it. Now, as always, guys, if you like what you hear, you might like what you see, so don't forget to give us a like and subscribe over on YouTube, Twitter, and Patreon. If you enjoy the show, maybe drop us a review over on Apple Podcasts when you hit subscribe. 
As always, guys, enjoy this last segment. Keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open, and we will see you on the other side. Okay, are we all here? Yeah. Okay, cool. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Exes for Podcast, the show where we take a look at the many adventures of comics' marvelous mutants week after week through their many monthly titles. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me at NicoAction on Twitter and Instagram. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hi, and I'm Rod. You can find me at R-O-D-C-O-M-M-A-T-H-E. I spelled it right. Yay, me! That is on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Nathan. You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at DazzlerAOA. And I'm Jonah, and you can follow me over on Twitter and Instagram at PeakJonah, that's P-E-A-K, and we hope you survive this experience, unlike most of the Avengers, because they're not really Avengers anymore. And so let's let's just pour one out for our guys. When we last saw the Avengers, Jason Aaron was leading them down a dangerous path. Now, the Avengers have been really deeply unsettled the last couple of years, but I think we're moving towards someplace really strong and dynamic, and suddenly we're in the Heroes Reborn world. This whole idea of Heroes Reborn coming out of when there's no Avengers is kind of like an old thing Marvel's done before, but Jason Aaron is giving it new life in the pages of Heroes Reborn, the event crossover. So we're going to be taking a look at Heroes Reborn, numbers one, and two by Jason Aaron. Art on the first issue is by personal favorite Ed McGinnis, while art on the second issue is by the incredibly talented Del Kwan. However, we're also going to be taking a look at the special one-shot about Hyperion, which has been so important to building this universe. Hyperion and the Imperial Guard was by Ryan Cady, Michelle Bandini, and it also had that amazing Star Jammers backup story, which I was obsessed with okay everybody knows what we're talking about now so now i just need everybody's first reaction what did you guys think about this first three issue opening salvo three of 18 i absolutely loved it i i really like jason aaron's writing in this it's very cohesive it's very like of like the 70s and 80s like macho american hero um it's just like i am american and i am of god and i am going to save the white house and just and it's like yay justice league i mean oops i mean no the squadron supreme so i it's it's a really good take on it and i'm actually kind of i am excited i want more of it honestly more than 18 issues we need like 100 we need an omnibus of this oh yeah uh like i was like at first when they announced it i was like wait what they're gonna redo that 90s piece of trash and then i was like reading it and i'm like oh my god what is this this is so fucking amazing like i need more of this i just like you know mainline it enemy so yes this was very interesting for me because this is my first bout up with a lot of these characters especially like hyperion power princess dr spectrum uh i almost called them night newbie yeah i'm a i broke my uh my squad virgin um and there was a lot of characters to be introduced to so you know a lot of virginities lost (laughs) oh my goodness well (laughs) yes Yes. There's a lot of innocence lost in this miniseries. Now, I have to be honest. I was lured in from the start. One of my favorite things is how much Jason Aaron seems to love writing Blade. It's always really interesting that like every every Avengers writer kind of glomps onto that one who's their character. And I feel like Jason Aaron has put so much love behind his Blade and his Robbie Reyes that when the whole thing opened on Blade and Robbie Robbie Reyes, I was already so 
old. I mean, I've been enjoying how much Blade seems to run around the Marvel Universe shouting things like, I'm here to give you your happy meal and I'm all out of Mayor McCheese. And like, just stabs people. That seems to be Jason Aaron's understanding of Blade. And... It kind of works for me. It's the Drac crack that I need. And Robbie Ray is on a bicycle. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> Robbie Ray is on a bicycle. kid in LA. It was, it was everything. Now that paradigm, how did you guys feel about it being turned on its head right away? I, I appreciated it because I don't feel, I like when stories start like in the middle, you know, and then we slowly get tuned into it. I don't need this like, I mean, some stories like Secret Wars is good to be like introduced in the beginning and shown the whole process. But I feel like a short event like this, that's this kind of like alternate dimension doesn't probably not going to have that much of effect to it outside of this whole thing. Maybe I don't, um, I think it's good in that kind of way that you can just be like, hey, let's introduce in the middle of it. Let's keep going. Let's just sh- show them all kinds of crazy shit. And I love, like you said, with Blade. Blade is such a character we don't get a lot of. And I love Jason Aaron that he's putting him in the forefront. I need him in more things. And I'm glad that he's the person that's getting a little ahead of myself, but the person that's getting the Avengers back together. That is awesome. Yeah. Like the fact that Blade is central and he's not this cheesy, campy, like, oh, I'm going to go stag Dracula kind of guy. Like, it's a fucking amazing <laughs> I think my uh my my favorite bout out of everything that came up was the chimera results of what would happen if you chose two random Marvel villains and you decided oh to just mash them together and it was really uh I I say this hesitantly I kind of wanted more in the sense of well I kind of want to see I want to see that happen with the heroes now I want like I want like mash them together like overall it was a lot of fun. Marvel has loved crossing characters together, like the Infinity Warps, right? Mm -hmm. They've been doing this for like a hot minute. I personally think Dr. Juggernaut is like, I need a Marvel Legends build a figure of Dr. Juggernaut last wave because I'm obsessed with him. Okay, Dr. Juggs is like, if somebody gave Dr. Doom like a magical black cat that like gave him a magical gem and was like, here you go. And he's like, by the power of jugs, I will punish you. And that's exactly. Oh, good. Cause for a second, I was like, where the fuck is the black cat coming from? Like, why is somebody like, she's not, she's not in this issue. Right. I wonder what, I wonder what Felicia is doing now that she didn't have Spider-Man to pine after. Oh, right. Spider-Man represented that really beautiful synergy. Like that that way that he's like, I'm a shutterbug. I'm right here, Mr. Milton. Well, you know, I'm right here, Mr. Okay, Jimmy Olsen. Right? Pretty much. (laughs) Rod, did any of like the super, like super, like like an italicized super, like um, the, what was it, Venom Skull? Was he the Black Skull? Did any of those characters really like lock it in for you? I mean, I really, I'm probably the on the lower side of this opinion, but I really like the quick Scarlet Witch. What is she called? Oh my gosh. It's quick Scarlet? I think so. But I like that character. Yes! <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I want fast magic. Like, I always kind of wanted their powers together. I feel like that'd be really cool. And how do you, it's already hard enough to be the speedster, but to be the speedster that can also, like, shoot a thousand spells, like, a second, that's insane. And I love that concept. It doesn't make any kind of sense, but no. it's fun. <laughs> Marvel does that. Marvel does that, though. Like, they, like, put, like, Lorna Dane and Zaladane, and they're like, rah, rah, you're gonna combine your powers and like the one cool thing about the scarlet whatever she is is like she's a mutant like did you guys notice that she's a mutant yes she's rightfully a mutant 
<laughs> and I think that's one of the things that I love about this. It's Silver a Witch. Silver Witch. Thank you. Silver Witch. That I was thinking is. I was that because I was like, it would, I guess just make the most sense if she was silver instead of scarlet. Yeah, but like, that's true. she's not wearing any silver. She got a little bit on. The, yeah. Maybe the silver is in her speed. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of with Quicksilver. I mean, he doesn't really wear any that much silver either. It's like white and blue. Yeah, he's he's a blue yeah, boy. Yeah. Now, I think, you know, this inroad with the Scarlet Witch, one of the things that I love the most about this miniseries is I feel like every time we see an iteration of, what if the Avengers were different? It's always some sort of, like, slightly different thing. Maybe Tony Stark doesn't have a robo-suit. But, like, this is a completely different iteration of the Avengers where the Squadron are supreme. And I think one of the things that's most interesting is the bad guy Avengers are still bad guys. Like, not just because I love my precious Baron Zemo, I do love me a bad guy that hates Nazis as much as I do, but I really like that those characters wouldn't have reformed if it weren't for the Avengers. So yeah, they should be a team. How did you guys feel about, you know, problematic-ish, a little bit Russian and a little bit red, uh, super commies? Yeah, the problematic super commies was a little like, oh, but I love them. What? <laughs> but I love them. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, she's a mutant. Oh, crap. She's not good. No, <laughs> it was definitely a, a it, it was a take they needed to do because they made the Squadron Supreme the American heroes. So so I was like, you, what is the you know opposite of America? It's communism. <laughs> so, apparently. So, yeah. you know, so I mean, you know, that that's what the heroes are going to be. They're going to be communists and they're going to be trying to battle everybody. And I just love that they made the um, the Nighthawk character, the Batman fight the like the Red Skull character. I was like, why would he battle? He's not going to beat him. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I'm like, world's greatest detective, more like guy with the most gadgets. And like, I literally yeah. mean that. Like, there's times I'm like, no, you didn't solve that. You had a small computer and it solved it. Stop yeah. cheating. Exactly. Oh, I think you're going somewhere else with that small computer. Oh, you looked down and you saw that there were footprints. Anybody could have done that. So right? You're not special. Now, Jonah, did you find any of these reiterations of characters you were familiar with special? Were any of these characters like, oh, shit. Um, the one that stuck out to me, and she was, she didn't really get a lot of panel time, so it just speaks to my volume of I see a very powerful woman. I'm like, show me her, uh, uh, power princess, because I would have been like, yeah, she's cool. Okay, I get it. Like she's Wonder Woman, but like not exactly. And she's from Utopia, so it's like, oh, okay, cool. Okay, I'm down with this. Um. I, that's how, as far as heroes go, from the uh, the Supremes, what are they called? <laughs> <laughs> the Squadron Supreme. The Squadron Supreme, not 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 the Supreme. That's Diana Ross. Ross and the Supremes <laughs> is the greatest. You're welcome. Thing. You're welcome. Uh, young Jonah. <laughs> At least I know who the Supremes are. That is um, a, that is a good point. <laughs> Yes, but uh, out out of all of them, I think it's more so because I literally know nothing about them, and I know a little bit about Hyperion. Nico's described to him as me as, what if Superman was super cocky and evil? And I was like, you know what? I'd love to see a character like that, so I'm down to see what the fuck is going on up here on this day, because <laughs> I will say... 
Hyperion is acting high key suspicious. Oh, yeah. About high everything. High key suspicious. High key suspicious. suspicious. <laughs> um, He's like the opposite of don't be suspicious. Yeah. He's the opposite of don't but be I'm suspicious. I'm so fa- fascinated because this entire world of 177A is, isn't is just a little thing, as Nico said. It's the Avengers were never formed because they never went to go find Steve. And Steve has been missing for years upon years. So I would I think there are so many effects that this has on all, the entirety of the world. It's a very interesting butterfly effect that I would love to see explored. So I'm happy to be able to read this and be a part of it. And, you know, it actually kind of correlates back to something I know Rod and I share an affinity for and something I know, Nathan, you're really interested to read more of. And Jonah, you're such a good sport when I don't shut up about it. But Jason Aaron's <laughs> Thor is his masterwork. Fine, fine, fine. Know me, whatever. So Jason Thor's Jason Thor's Aaron work good night jason aaron's score <laughs> is his masterwork and so you know this idea that he kind of he kind of sacrificed thor right off the bat was so interesting that he decided you know what i don't need thor to tell my story thor can be a drunken louse and that works for me I know Jason Aaron for his Thor. How did you guys feel about seeing a guy so synonymous with a specific character hand wave the character away? I guess he also backhanded him. (laughs) I think it was necessary um, because, you know, we've seen Jason Aaron with Thor for basically for five years before. And, you know, we don't need it. We know his Thor. You know, we don't need to see him write those characters any that character anymore. We need to see him, you know, write the Blades, write the Robbie Reyes's, write the, all the other people that are in this, yeah. write the Scottish Supremes. And even Coulson for like a hot second, he keeps appearing in and out. Just like a, oh, yeah. a weird demon. <laughs> like, so I I really appreciated it that he's not just like a, not making himself like a one trick pony in that sense. And I love that you mentioned Coulson because Coulson and Mephisto have had a thing going since Avengers for a while now. So I don't know anybody who's been reading the monthly Avengers or weekly at times Avengers, right? But Coulson made a deal with Mephisto at one point and... It backfired. Right? <laughs> well, that's what we call a Faustian bargain. Right? Oh, and it is crazy because they're always praising Mephisto in this story. So <laughs> I am wondering the part Coulson plays. Now, Nathan, have you been following Coulson in the Marvel Universe or are you more of a Marvel Cinematic Coulson Shield TV? Because I'm going to be honest, I quit Shield. I couldn't do it. And all of a sudden I come back and Coulson's like a motherfucker in the comics. And I'm like, shit, what did I miss? So, like, like, is following that? Yeah, no, I'm Colson's got me a little lost. I'm like, uh, I, I catch a little of it here and there. Uh, yeah, he's when he shows up in the movies, I didn't watch Shield, it lost my interest a lot. And uh, yeah, I watched See, all of Shield. I knew I could ask Rod, I knew I could ask Rod, that's why I had to ask someone else first because I knew Rod would have the answer, so I had to do the soft pivot so that I could get to the real answer. I know what I'm right? doing. <laughs> I I'm like I, Maria Hill. Yeah, talk about Maria Hill. <laughs> uh, let's go to the mall. <laughs> yes. I watch and read too much. You'll shit. be sorry. sorry. <laughs> so, how did Coulson get to be so bitter? Well, I mean, he died. Um, oh, so, right. Yeah, Deadpool killed him. That wasn't a fake out. Deadpool legit killed him. And he was dead, and then he miraculously showed up in Avengers, and then Mephisto was there. And we're like, oh, so, because everyone was like, yay, Coulson is back. And it's like, oh, wait, 
Colson is evil. Oh no. Oh no. Like, no one want no one wanted that. And I don't I like I don't I'm okay with it now. At first I was like, no, because it's Colson and he's like so awesome. And I don't want him to be evil. But he makes the perfect person to be evil because he's a good strategist. He's basically Nick Fury and Maria Hill put together in a sense because he was with both of them. So he's learned from the best. So I was happy with the at least that he's back, that we didn't just forget about like a good character like that. Like Maria Hill. Oh, right. Ugh. Or like Ross oh, Solomon. He, he did stay dead in the S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show, though. He did. He's mm. Like, he got brought back, and then he was a robot, and then, and yeah, but then he stayed dead, dead. Yeah. Cause he had, like, did everybody know the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent was a robot? <laughs> no. Was he a life model decoy, though? Oh. He, they did make him, after he died of space cancer, they made him a life model decoy because they needed his help again. I, I it, yeah, that's a lot. It's. <laughs> It's a lot. Shield was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. <laughs> Listen, we love a TV show that's so wild and extra. Yeah. But wow. Now, Jonah, was this a shock for you going from like adorable Colson to Colson? I'm going to be real honest. I'm going to keep it real 100 with you. I had no idea who this guy was. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, bad Jonah, bad. That that's. I it. was like, why are they focusing? Like, oh, let me phrase it. I knew he was important because they bolded his name, and I was like, okay, he's got to oh be vital God. in some way. I have it's, no idea who this character it's is. Coulson. I mean, you at least watched the like the Avengers movies, so like, right? Like, it's been a hot minute. Yes, I, I've seen all of the MCU so, like, stuff. Okay, that, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it rides like it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Listen, I either I keep it in either girl groups and or comic information. Sometimes it overlaps. Uh, not all of it stays in. It's fine. I don't know some people that y'all know, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about people we know and the ways in which they are fucked up. Number one, Hulk. Negative zone. Bad story. Number two, Johnny Storm in a Nova oh, outfit. Yeah. Good story, right? That's so, oh, woof. What a good use of him. So here's my question. I think I love sympathetic Hulk the most, right? I don't really have a need for like generic Reed or like adorable Peter or whatever. Or drunk Thor is fine, I guess. But like, I'm really in it for like brood gladiator. And Crazy Hulk. Did any of these characters, you know, these sort of like sad, heartbroken iterations really affect you? Okay, the Imperial Guard. Like, oh my god, when they all get turned into brutes. I was like, oh! I was like, how dare you do that to Cosmic Boy and Saturn Girl? Yeah, that, that Hyperion story broke my little heart. It actually made me like Hyperion, and then he was in that relationship. I and I was like, oh, he's, he's a good person. He's not all bad, and he's in love. And then they're like, no, <laughs> we're done with that. <laughs> and and we got Galen Space. Like I was like, oh, oh yeah, we got Galen Space. And then they died too. And then they died. It was an immediate barrier gaze. I know. It was yeah. an immediate barrier <laughs> gaze. Bam. Well, and here was the thing that I think made it the most shocking for me was that they had been in the background of one of the panels of the main miniseries before appearing in the Hyperion one shot and everything about the Hyperion one shot worked really well. Like I kind of, you know, when Omnibuy are collected and the mid quill issues still go afterwards, sometimes I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But like here, I almost 
just wish you could freeze the ongoing mini and just flip into that that one shot and get to experience because you know they purposely put it in an anachronistic number they said that star jammers was coming summer 92 like they did such a beautiful job and you know putting it out they called it um i think they called it issue 121 yeah because there was In the letter page, it wasn't supposed to be that issue, too. It was, like, uh, extra issue that, like... I love the amalgam-type leather pages. I was like, yes. oh, God, I'm reading all of this. I was like, yes! It just felt so good, and that issue, it felt like just, like, right around the right time for the X-Men to be dealing with the Shi'ar, and, like, it just made me so happy! And I love that who Gladiator is. Because, like, I'm, a, like, an oddly big Prince Kubark fan. I really love Kid Gladiator. I like mm. Gladiator, but I love Kid Gladiator. Kid Gladiator only works because Gladiator is such a good guy, mm. right? Okay. Like, it's kind of like Kid Gladiator is the Thor to gladiators odin and i sort of love how exhausting he is for his father so i've learned to love his dad by loving kubark right so it was just kind of sad to see a gladiator who felt like he could not defend his empire it was like that one page of new x-men for like an entire issue it was just it was a it was the right kind of heartbreaking on ryan katie's part yeah so, like, was this the event? Did this turn Hyperion from what we saw there? Like, did the death of the Imperial Guard turn him into the jackass that he is now? Like, that's that's where I'm, like, trying to figure out. Because I'm like, oh, my God, he's so sweet and lovable. And he loves Oracle. And, like, oh, they're going to be happy. Oh, fuck. I guess, you know, like, everybody's got to have their Hank Pym moment. You know what I mean? Everybody's yeah. got to have that, that, that dramatic turn instant. Now, Henry Pym. Okay. Talking about Hank Pym, though, <laughs> when they described him <laughs> as a good husband, I was like, what the Good f- husband, devout Christian, yes, good I- American. I know. I was like, uh, I was like, uh, 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 So you're saying <laughs> the Avengers made him abusive. Huh. No, I, I, think, I think what it is. King did is, that, though. King did that. Yeah. I think what it is, though, that they don't care really about the abuse. Because, mm-hmm. like, the Squadron Supreme is supposed to be the stereotypical all-American, very religious type of subgroup that's in the country. So they might not really care. Like, oh, he's just, you know, helping his wife. Uh, so he's just being a good husband because he's bringing home the paycheck and she has a house. She has a house. And <laughs> a wealth. <laughs> and a kitchen. And a kitchen. And a black eye. Oh, God. And, you know... Choose to leave the house in. There's something incredible about what you just captured in that statement, Rod, because, you know, Jonah was reading the issue next to me in bed, and he literally read aloud a sentence that I must have read to myself 15 times. Your super neck muscles flexed open my hand. And (laughs) I was like, I know what Aaron's going for. This ain't it. And, like... It made me laugh in a good way. You know, it was it was a little tongue-in-cheek. It was a little playful and a little funny. You know, I'm an enormous Jason Aaron fan, so I, I get he has a very specific sense of humor. And I, I wonder how much of that really is... This is sort of like what if the WWF in the 1980s ran the Avengers. This is yes. such a comical, over-the-top, oh, the bad guys go in forever jail, and the good guys get to just be famous. And he's a school teacher. Like, he's not even... 
a believable could run out and do shit kind of guy, right? Like he's not yeah. a reporter where he's just on the street. He's, he's a fucking teacher. He's got kids. He's teaching. He just made him read. <laughs> he's like, be, I'll be right back, kids. I have to go save the world. He just leaves. I'm like, what is happening? So he's no, endangering he like- the kids. Just leaving, he... Yeah, I think you're right. I think if there was actual allegations of abuse lodged by Janet Van Dyne, it would be very, oh, honey, he didn't mean to do that. And like... Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. Honey, what did you say that made him hate you? Oh, God. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what they would say. And I mean, that's, that's, that's what a lot of men said at that time to women. So, unfortunately. And unfortunately still do. And I think if the characters here aren't saying something's wrong, something's wrong, something's wrong, there is really an anachronistic sense of cosmic unfairness to a lot of what's going on here. There really does feel like a dangerous silence. How do you guys feel about this almost humorous pretense that it really is, still is the 90s and that shit still flies? Well, I, one of the things I was thinking when I saw Thor, I was like, huh, is Thor like Hercules in that all parallel versions of him are the same? And I wonder if this Thor is just upset over things. Um, so that was something that was crossing my mind. But I look at, from what we know, uh, the three characters, I guess, who got the most cosmic injustice between Blade, uh, Captain America, and Thor... It makes me wonder, like, what in particular about these three characters made them deserve to go through this kind of dystopian parallel universe that's, like, a hellish for the Avengers? And I was really uh, interested with trying to figure out what Jason Aaron's motive was of choosing these three characters. Because there were, like, a lot of other characters that were, like, named, like, Namor or the Winter Soldier and his commie Widow Guard. <laughs> um... And I think, like, well, why not them? Why wasn't it, like, a Natasha? Why wasn't it a Wanda? Well, what about these three characters makes them special enough that they deserve to either go through this, but also overcome it? Ooh, overcoming it. Yeah, the argument of growth. I mean, I I, I almost want to say something glib, which is, well, Empire was Reed and Tony's story, and King in Black was Eddie Brock's story. I mean, other people were in it, but it was Eddie Brock's story, just straight up. So it kind of makes me say it was their cyclical turn but at the same time they are characters who are defined by worthiness you know tony is de- determined by whether or not he drinks or whether or not he is cruel but steven i almost <laughs> i almost said steven other steve i thought you were to say steven universe <laughs> <laughs> no i was like well they're both named chris so they're both named steve so Steve and other Steve, no, God, so Steve and Odinson are both defined by their worthiness in a lot of ways, and that's just a really fascinating parallel. As somebody who's, well, as two somebodies, who's read both somebodies, how do you guys feel about Jonah's question? What makes these three, I mean, Blade's the mouthpiece, but, like, what makes these three special? Well, I think, first I want to do Thor and Captain America. So Thor... Um, he's the one that wasn't affected except for, you know, just being a, a drunk because Scarlet Witch is affected and she's with like the communist. Carol never got powered. Um, Black Jen Widow. Still a lawyer. Jen still a lawyer didn't get, you know, the, 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 the Hulkness. And then is that Black Widow part of the, one of the evil communist people too? So Carol, yeah. is, not oh, even a, Carol is not even a captain. She's just, yeah. uh, uh, Natasha became widow guard with winter soldier. Yeah. So they, I mean, so Blade, I don't know. So Blade was like, who else do I got? You know, Thor is there. Thor is also a god. He's a 
heavy hitter. So he's like, I can maybe convince him to, Thor's not the smartest, so you can convince him maybe. <laughs> um, and he's smart in some points. At some points, he's not. Some points, he's not. And then Captain America is all the America, and people listen to Captain America, and he's the reason the Avengers got started. So he's the center point of this whole story because it's about the Avengers never being started. So what do you do to get everything started? You get the focal point, which is Captain America. Now, the reason why Blade is picked, I don't know. <laughs> I I think Blade is really picked because Jason Aaron was like, well, who do, who can I pick that doesn't get affected but isn't like as powerful as like Carol or Thor? Well, it's Blade. And why well, Robbie, he wasn't affected? Robbie's too powerful too. Robbie's too powerful too. Yeah, like you, can, he's like he can do so many things. Yeah, he controlled that celestial so like a who car. Who is someone that's you know has power but is still like lower base, and that's Blade. Now, why didn't Blade get affected? Shit, if I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love how when he meets up with Nighthawk, he's it's like there. It's very much like, what the fuck are you doing here, Blade? You're just some like low level like fucking like scumbag. Daywalker. Like, yeah, like ugh, why are you? Which here? that is not what he thinks that means. <laughs> <laughs> that is not a term that he. Nope. Nope, it's not good. <laughs> I think it means afternoon prostitute. If you're a uh, night walker, day walker, I'm just saying clunk. That would be a good that would be a good name for that. <laughs> like a nightcrawler day tripper, I guess. Uh so here's my question for you guys, especially because we've touched on a lot of what we wanted to talk about, but I specifically have a, a really kind of cutting question when marvel makes these kind of crossover initiatives there's three kinds in my opinion right and what do i know but there are the ones that exist to shake up status quo which is original sin where they reveal a bunch of shit all at once and just deal with it which is also the same as hox pox they revealed a bunch of shit all at once and just kind of deal with it okay then there's the AUs. So there's House of M followed by, you know, um, not followed by, but also the Infinity Warps. And mm. there's Age, I, of literally, Age of X-Man. Age of Apocalypse. Age of Apocalypse. A lot of ages. There's one that I'm blanking on <laughs> that like just happened. Age of Ultron. Ah, they're all ages. Oh, yeah. No, ah! So, yeah. you know. That was interesting. <laughs> What makes you care when they come back? What sells you on the value of it? You know, when we came back from House of M, that was the thing that made Carol believe she could be Captain Marvel. And she made the decision to be that Captain Marvel, right? Her better self. I don't want Blade to get Carol's hand-me-down story because Carol had it beautifully. Blade deserves his own story. What can we hope for from this? I guess this could maybe give us the squadron in a way that MC unifies, right? Mm. But other than an inroad for the squadron and cute new Marvel Legends figures, I can't figure out the why yet. What do you guys think about the why of this? I think the why for it is we finally get the answer of what Mephisto's planning. Mm. Because he brought Coulson back for a reason. I guess this was it. And they just did that Mephisto omnibus. Fuck. Yeah, so it's going to be a like Jason Aaron has been building this Mephisto thing with like Moon Knight and all that stuff. Mephisto's been around doing some stuff. And even in Champions, like a, a while back, when he like fucked with them. So, well, and his hands are all over this too because they're like praising Mephisto. Yeah. Praising the devil. Yeah, he's the main, he's the unseen, you know, CEO of this whole corporation thing. And I do I do think that since Blade is like the the kind of ahead of it, at least the first issue, I do think after all this, he'll kind of see himself as more 
of an Avenger. Like, worthy of being an Avenger, I guess? Because he kind of, even, like, a few of the last issues, he was like, I shouldn't be here. And Black Panther's like, nah, you gotta stay here. And so maybe he'll finally be like, oh, well, I guess I can be an Avenger. Maybe I shouldn't be a lone wolf anymore. I would love for this story to fuck shit up like Age of Apocalypse did, where you get out of Age of Apocalypse, there was some stuff that happened in the past, and like, oh my god, Dark Beast created the Morlocks, like, Sugar Man was in charge of Genosha, whatever, yeah, I can't even say the word, but yeah. They, their hands are all over everything. <laughs> and, you know, that argument you made about Mephisto's hands being all over everything, I guess I hadn't thought about it quite this way. But the first arc of Avengers is about a celestial takeover. The second arc of the Avengers is about an Atlantean takeover. The third arc of the Avengers is about the Nine Realms collapsing in onto the Tenth Realm because of Malachite. We have the attack of the Ghost Riders. We have the Age of Khonshu. We have Enter the Phoenix. It actually does seem like the Avengers is constantly placing the Avengers in the trust of a single identity. And we know that right after this, we're getting World War She-Hulk. So... I guess I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, it does feel perhaps like this is an opportunity to reset the status quo around the previous 50 issues. And I, yeah, hmm, hmm, this has been so much fun because I came in here with questions and everybody's making me think brains. Now, I, I will mention there's some people that we haven't seen yet. And for as excited as I am to see the blur and as excited as I am for Dr. Spectrum and Nighthawk and Power Princess, Power Princess and Hyperion, I do find myself a little sad at the dearth of some of the characters, right? I love the Imperial Guard and I know that we're getting a Magneto special. I know, I'm so sorry guys, but I do know that Weapon X is going to be a special toward the end of the, the tenure. So I'm pretty excited, but I know it's Aurora's more. got a bat. She's got a Negan bat. <laughs> I am. Oh wait, what, what was it? It's not it's not Alpha Flight, first flight. Yeah. So flight, yeah. I am very excited about that. But like, you know, the last time Jason Aaron helmed an event, Daredevil was turned into a god, and as a thank you for his kind work helping Heimdall save reality, Heimdall carved him two billy clubs from the original world tree so that he would always remember that he's welcome with the gods. Where the fuck is Daredevil now? So who do y'all think is missing? I know Daredevil might show up in the in the Luke Cage um, tie-in thing that he's a, like a C like a he's like a federal agent or something. So Daredevil might show up in that. He might not now. He might only be a lawyer, which I'd be fine. I, with. I wonder what the Phoenix is doing. Well, we know that the Shi'ar wanted to go after the Phoenix at the end of Star Jammers number one. Well, well, Lilandra wanted to go after it yes. to usurp her throne from her mad brother, which is all still, you know, in line with what normally happens. But the Shi'ar are we, afraid of the Phoenix Force. We had a chance to have a good guy, Deathbird, and we blew it, guys. I wanted Deathbird to be Lilandra. We collectively blew it, you know. Oh, I I love Deathbird way too much. Okay, I have a I have a serious question. How is Johnny Storm that much older than Cyclops and Havoc? How is Johnny Storm that fucking hot? How? Oh my God, yeah, too. Because oh. like, oh. like blonde pretty boy doesn't do it for me. See, I felt I I Johnny Storm was kind of hot to me. I I, I might have uh, some weird things in my head because I found Thor and Hyperion the hottest. I judged myself harshly for finding Hyperion hot Mm-mm. because he's not a good person. Um, but he's so young. 
<laughs> if you want someone who literally looks exactly like him but is actually a good character, Quasar. Quasar. Oh, yeah. Quasar. Quasar is a good character. That's right. He's in Guardians right now. He's a good character. <laughs> and yeah, you know, I, I do get what you're saying. I also thought Cyclops was uncomfortably hot. I thought he was Vulcan, but he was Cyclops. <laughs> I always have this weird thing with Havoc where I think he's cute, but I was like, eh, he's not as hot as he usually is, but he's 17 too, so. Havoc is hot, but in like a, I wish he would shower after gym class way. Yeah. Oh, you know Havoc who's... is hot in the Goblin Prince look, but like maybe that's just where my mind always goes. You know who's missing? Because, um, well, that's not, we're not talking about this issue, but Storm is missing. <laughs> no, for and real. I think, yeah. yeah, my theory, because this hasn't come out yet, so none of us know, um, that when we get the Wakanda tie-in, oh. I think she is going to be in Wakanda. Because I don't think, because obviously, okay. you know, Xavier never got her no. and like never pulled her into the fold and everything so she stayed in africa colonizer never just, colonized her colonized never colonized so she's in wakanda i feel like. i'm all farouk has to have her <gasps> no 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 it's a moth rook i'm sorry no. <laughs> wait does that mean thunderbird's <laughs> alive oh wow we could have yeah. an entire like Yay. thunderbird would be cool yeah oh can you imagine an entire proud star family and like maybe they even oh. like married people and had kids and now they have super kids and that oh. would be so that, cute see that would be the that would be the second proud family reboot i would watch <laughs> it's better than hooking them up with one of the stepford cuckoos yeah, that was an interesting story. We don't talk about that. Actually, I would love to know what where the Hellfire Club is. Because Great they've played a, a really large role in a lot of events that's happened, not just to Mutantum, but like history. there's a lot of history and prominence with the Hellfire Club. So what the fuck are they doing? And where's Apocalypse in all this? Do you think Apocalypse sat around while Hyperion oh, became yeah. the most powerful motherfucker on the planet? Exactly. Right? And where you don't think Sinister has tried to get his hands on Hyperion DNA and was like, oh, look, I found some Hyperion DNA. Where's Gene? Ooh, look oh, at this cape! So look at this I cape! Think, I can wear the cape! I think Gene is deceased because mm. I think Mephisto was. <laughs> Nico has left the building. <laughs> Oh no, Nico! <laughs> I was talking about this with my fiance Juan earlier. I think Jean is deceased because Mephisto was like, "No, she is too much trouble. We are we are not having her gain the Phoenix Force ever in this reality. This she's just, we're just gonna poop. She's gone. We're gonna kill her off." <laughs> I would love that because then it would make even more sense that the Phoenix chose Echo. Because, like, mm -hmm. not like Mephisto isn't all-knowing, but, like, the Phoenix would need some way to sneak into this world yeah. without Mephisto getting... I love that. Where's Dazzler? <laughs> Dazzler, Dazzler finished uh, law school and now practices law with her father. No, she's partnered <laughs> with Jen Walters. She's partnered with Jen Walters. Oh, now. I would love that. That's yeah, right. So, cool. Now, here's the big question going forward. We have three out of 18 issues covered. We have 15 more issues to experience the present, the past, and come home to our future. If you have one big thing you want to see happen, like one moment that you're looking for, what would it be? I think for me, it is specifically a little weird, but I would love to see Thor be like, I'm ready to be Thor now, and go to get Mjolnir, and Hyperion just pick it up and be like, nah, son. He's not worthy, though. He is so not worthy. In that but, reality, he might be. 
Because what is this reality and what rules has Mephisto placed on it? If you can't change the outcome, change what the outcome means. He can't change how this is all going to go, but he can change how things work together as we get there. Yeah. That is very true. Mephisto's a crafty bitch. Yeah, he is. So. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, she's as great at the Dragon and Dime challenges. What else do you guys want to see happen? I want to see happen is Wakanda coming back from wherever it is and kicking the shit out of Supreme Squadron. <laughs> Could not get that word right. But I want them to do something to them, like depower Hyperion or something to that effect. Because I feel like whenever like a um, an event kind of happens, Wakanda's kind of like just in the background. And I want them to be more like, oosh. Because I feel like Mephisto wouldn't really think of Wakanda either. And also, the Panther Gods kind of protect Wakanda from Mephisto, so... And doesn't Wakanda have war witches? Like, though they have their own, like, war magic witches? Like, people who specifically work to protect the ancient arts and... Yeah, yeah, they do. Yeah, so, I mean, they're probably protected. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my guess would be Mephisto is banking on, if this is, like... Uh, an America that's only focusing on America, and this is like we're thinking like 1950s America, where everybody thinks they're the greatest thing, uh, and it's all McCarthyism of who's a commie, who's not. I imagine he's banking on that nobody ever wanting to go to see if the myth was actually real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because there wouldn't have been the same sense of global acceptance that the Avengers helped forge if it was actually an American unit. And I think you're really right, Rod. I feel like the last 10 crossovers, they just sort of pull out Wakanda like a big gun at the end. Like, it's not a country full of heroes and people beyond being the big gun when you need it. You know, they deserve better than to be the Vibranium uh, Forge. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they absolutely do. Okay, I want to see something that I'll never see, but I just want to see it. I want to see the unholy alliance between Destiny and Moira McTaggart. <laughs> but I know that'll never happen. <gasps> oh, can they be in a polyamorous <laughs> ra- ra- relationship with Raven? No! Uh, How are you uh, No, that... No. I, I don't think that would happen in this... Re- I don't know. No, I know, I know. No. <laughs> that makes my brain hurt. It makes my brain hurt thinking about how that could be possible in this reality. Not okay. the polyamorous thing, just more of being there with destiny. Yeah! You know, it makes my brain hurt. <laughs> right! Don't So then don't think about Age of Apocalypse and what Moira was doing then. So, like... Uh, <laughs> ever. Don't ever fine, she's around. actually the sugar man. She's wearing a sugar man suit the whole time. <laughs> with the little arms. Bringing a whole new meaning to sugar baby. Um... What I would love to see, I would love to see Robbie become Ghost Rider. Uh, I would love to see that transformation. I would love to maybe see Carol maybe become a captain. She doesn't have to be... um, Well, I guess that means she never met Wolverine. (laughs) Because they never would have met in the the Air Force. Yeah. There's so many amazing stories. Where is Wolverine? I really want... He's he's still in Canada. He's he's part of the... uh, I don't know if if it's in every uh, issue, but at least on the digital one that I read... There were some character sheets for uh, First Flight, and that's where Wolverine oh, is. Is that he still right. was part of the Weapon X program, but it's a lot 
bionic is the best way I can describe it. So damn bionic. Yeah. I would love I'm to like... know where Snowbird is. Ooh. She's a goddess. I do love me, I do love me some Snowbird, so I, maybe she might have been kept out. I want Monica Rambeau to somehow save the day, but that will never happen either. Yeah, where's Monica? Where's yeah. Monica? You know, she's, you know, when you think about powerhouses right? from the 1980s, it's like Monica. She is. Oh, she's, and Blue Marvel. Where's Blue Marvel, who was totally outside yeah. of all this? Where's Nick Fury, who was already serving in the trenches? Where's Ulysses Bloodstone? Where's Ulysses Bloodstone? <laughs> Guys, I do have a question. If Boom Boom doesn't have her own trashy reality show in this reality, uh, she's just a ditz with a camera. And I yeah. feel like Boom Boom would have one of those. Because she, she, would. she would have like bought a bottle of liquor and went to drink it, but accidentally like swallowed a piece of glass and sued the company oh, no. and become like a liquor heiress. And now she's got, you know, Boom Boom's badass well liquors. And, and then she goes and does a TV show. Her reality show is filmed in Greece. And like, it's just a bunch of people in bikinis. <laughs> hey guys, I'm in Mykonos with my friend Mykonos. Um... So Boom Boom is Paris Hilton? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a little bit of mix of like Paris Hilton and Lilo. Wouldn't it be, make more sense for Dazzler to be Paris Hilton? I want better right. for Dazzler. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, Paris is good. I like Paris in her own way, but no, 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 no. I'm, I'm sure. Okay. <laughs> we're going to try to degree. I, she, I mean, she, uh, you know, she fits the profile. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, she, is, she is a Supreme Court justice in this weird it, America. Oh, then we went for practicing sure. law to Supreme Court justice. Yeah, I just need to double check. Did you just call her Ruth Bader Dasberg? Because that's what I heard. Oh my god. <laughs> the notorious RPD. I mean, that, Dazzler is supposed to become a like a pres she's supposed to become a president in one reality, so I guess so. But yeah, but like, you know, also the Herbie Crossroads story was right. Does she follow her father's footstep and become a lawyer? Does she like be a pop star? Does she be a superhero? Where's the Dazzler? Or does she be homeless? Because that was one of her options. Well, and you know, I kind of like the question that you're, you're, you're posing. And I'm, I mean, we're being ridiculous, but it's not too much of a stretch to assume that what we know about Carter Blair, he would have tried to position himself to get in good with a reestablishing of sort of like a core American values. He was a very conservative, wealthy lawyer. I could reasonably see... The the Blair family having become attached to this American super society, especially if Dazzler was going to be a mutant anyway, she would have wanted to have herself in a safe, protected space. So, like, I could see, not Supreme Court justice, I could see, like, lawyer, rich lawyer, Senator Lady Dazzler. Ooh. First Lady Dazzler. Oh, not Bill Coulson. Ew. Sure. Uh, she's... Not Paris Hilton in Greece. That's <laughs> sure. Well, I'm, I still think that's, that's Boom Boom. That's a Boom Boom's alley. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I mean, hey, also, hey. Kind of this is a family to... show, and we do not talk about Boom Boom's alley here, or what may <laughs> a... be up it or not. <laughs> this is a family, family show for fuck's sake. For fuck's sake. But no, it actually makes sense because I I feel like Dazzler, not Dazzler. <laughs> It's a reality show because she was her. I believe it's her dad's in like the military and like the CIA or like a secret agent and trained her. That's why she's so proficient in hand to hand combat. So like, I'm pretty sure she could easily sell a show about that. I'm in Mykonos. Chop chop. <laughs> I I want to say that I am 
pleasantly surprised by how Heroes Reborn. I didn't read the first Heroes Reborn. I know everyone hated it. I know everyone hated it, <laughs> especially Nathan. Um, but I was pleasantly surprised. I know Jason Aaron is a good writer, but I came in cautious. Um, I love events though, but I still came in cautious and I love it. So I'm ready for more. On air, it just hit me that uh, Rocket, uh, not, he's not a raccoon, Red Panda, Rocket Red Panda, and Groot were not original Star Jammers. <laughs> no, oh my god, no. Yes, that's <laughs> that, that just hit me uh, because my bone, it's a very small bone, is that uh, Hepzibah looks like a sexy fantasy like race, and I don't like it. I like, have to be like, why? no, she's like, still a skunk. Like she looks Look more like an animal, not, <laughs> not like, I'm a sexy skunk. Like, that's the race I want to be, a sexy skunk. Like, no. Hi, guys, I'm a sexy skunk. I mean, it's skunk. fine. <laughs> Hi. It was I good for the furries. <laughs> I love the summer family being like a family and like not having. I, I guess yeah. I guess fuck uh, fuck the original Mrs. Summers. Fuck her drag, right? Yeah. She's where did she? Because where did she dead. go? She's still dead, I guess. Oh, that sucks for her. Poor her. Yeah. What? Maybe she's like. Oh, maybe she's with Emperor Dekin. Yeah. That's possible. 